Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Our number is 877 Well, I have to make an executive decision. I am loaded for bear, but the president's given a hell of a talk, hell of a statement right now. So I think we're going to listen to the president briefly, and then I want to swing back into what I want to discuss, which I think you all agree when the program's over is crucially important. So let's listen to the president. Amnesty. Everybody gets amnesty, mass amnesty. Think of that. And this is create a roadmap to citizenship for massive, massive numbers. And we're not talking about DACA because I'm going to take care of DACA much better than the Democrats did. The Democrats had their chance, and they blew it. But we're going to take care of DACA because I'm going to be doing, in the not-too-distant future, pretty soon I'm going to be signing a new immigration action, very, very big merit-based immigration action that, based on the DACA decision, I'll be able to do. Vastly expand low-skilled immigration to the United States. So they want a lot of people come in with low skills. I like merit. Think of that. Vastly expand low-skilled immigration to the United States. Now, let's, let's, the things let's that lower that for a moment. The president has gone through, before the program came on and now, extraordinarily radical plans that the Democrats, Biden, has on immigration. And when taken in the aggregate, when taken together, the Democrat plan is to fundamentally alter the nature of the population of the United States. Open borders, no enforcement, immediate immediate uh, student aid, immediate uh, medical care. So basically to eliminate the line between citizen and non-citizen, between American and immigrant, 
And I'm telling you what's going on here. The Democrat Party has figured out that the way they will get power and the way they will keep power forever is to devour the citizens of the United States and replace them or overwhelm them with people from other countries with different cultures. That's exactly what's going on. And you can see what we get. If there's a lack of assimilation, if immigration is open and not managed, you get Talib and Omar and people who are not going to be embracing our founding principles. So the Democrat Party is on a mission, and they're getting there at breakneck speed to completely alter the United States of America with policies at every level of our government and every level of our society. But in the immigration area, open-ended, anti-assimilation, massive welfare state, uh, that entire purpose is to eliminate what they accuse us of. Just listen to them. And what they accuse many Americans of being, uh, which is systemically racist and privileged. And so they will eliminate the nature of the population within four years. Four years, if Biden's elected. Go ahead. sentences by fighting to repeal mandatory minimums at the federal level and give states incentives to repeal their mandatory minimums. We could go on for days. Incentivize prison closure. So they want to close our prisons. They now want to abolish. This is the Biden plan. They want to abolish our police they departments. They want to abolish prisons, defund police departments, and abolish the death penalty. Go ahead. As populations decline, ensure the resources saved are invested directly into those communities. So they want to close them rather than have them for some very bad people, people that are not going to behave when they get out. You see that in New York. They allowed a lot of criminals out, and those criminals are causing havoc. And then they got rid of their incredible and legendary crime squad. And bad things are happening in New York. Bad things are happening. I love New York. I hate to see what's going on. End solitary confinement. Free federal housing for former inmates. So federal housing now can go to inmates, former inmates. Rejoin Paris Climate Accord and seek an even higher level of restrictions. Oh, I didn't notice that. Oh, I see. So they want to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord, and they want to seek an even higher level of restriction. In other words, make it worse than it was. Mandate net zero carbon emissions for homes, offices, and all new buildings by 2030. That basically means no windows, no nothing. It's very it hard basically to do. means ending buildings, period. The building of new buildings. Because you can't have net zero carbon. Go ahead. Cold office space in the winter and warm office space in the summer because your air conditioning is not the same as the good old days. Mandate zero carbon emissions from power plants by 2035. Zero. We're talking about zero. Nothing can go in the air. Mandate net zero carbon emissions by 2050. And I believe he's changing that. He's bringing it down. He wants no petroleum product. He wants no oil or gas. I don't think Texas is going to do too well. They're going to get rid of about 7 million jobs. 
if you go by the Biden plan. I don't think that uh, Oklahoma, North Dakota, Pennsylvania, you're going to be too happy with that, and many other states, Ohio, mandate all 500,000 school buses and all 3 million government vehicles be changed to zero-emission vehicles within five years. I've heard it worse than that. Install 500,000 taxpayer-funded charging stations nationwide. Here's a bad one, really bad one. End school choice. There is nothing that the African-American community wants more than school choice. And mothers and fathers are going to be very happy to see him be defeated just on that alone. End school choice. So Joe, Bi Joe Biden wants to end school choice. End tax credit scholarships serving disadvantaged students in 26 states. Oppose 14 million Americans with education savings accounts. And get rid of school choice, having to do with school choice. Eliminate school choice in Washington, D.C. You know what they've done in Washington. They have some incredible example right here. Example. I know of one example. I think they have a number of them, but one is incredible. Abolish all charter schools. Charter schools are doing great. Ban funding for charter schools in poor neighborhoods. We don't want charter schools in so poor So let's just stop here, please, lower it. This would eliminate any chance of poor minority families of having their kids have a real education. This is a SOP to the teachers' union. You really have to understand what's going on here. This is a SOP to the NEA and the AFT, which is going to spend tens of millions of dollars to elect Biden. This isn't for the people. It's not for the minorities. This is where the marching in the street ought to be taking place. This is where Black Lives Matter ought to be acting. But they're not. They're all in it together. This is a power grab. And they're going to punish poor minority families in the inner city. Defund the cops. Force these kids into outrageously poor schools, dangerous schools. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. Go ahead. Go, and now they want to make it twice as bad in the suburbs, in the suburbs. Uh, mothers aren't happy about that. Fathers aren't happy about that. They worked hard to buy a house, and now they're going to watch the housing values drop like a rock, and that has happened, drop like a rock. So we're not going to do that. We're going to do the exact opposite. Probably there has never been a time, and this is just a few, this is, it's much worse than that. We did this very quickly. It's probably never been a time when candidates are so different. We want law and order. They don't want law and order. We want strong, closed borders with people able to come in through merit, through a legal process. They don't want to have any borders at all. They're going to rip down the wall. It was hard to get that built. And now it's almost completed. It'll be completed by a little after the end of the year. They want to rip it down. And it's had such an impact. It's incredible. It stops trafficking, human trafficking of women and children, but women mostly. Human trafficking, one of the worst things ever, all at a level that it's never been at because of the Internet. You wouldn't think you think of it as an ancient statement. You wouldn't think that's possible today. But it's human trafficking of women and children. And they want to let that continue. The, the wall has stopped it so much because they will go over to a section where there aren't people. 
not an entry point, and they'll make a left into the United States. They're on their way. They can't do that anymore. We have a 30-foot wall that goes six feet into the ground. It stops a lot of the tunneling because they're pretty good at tunnels. But we watch the tunnels, and we have equipment for that. But you can't make a left anymore and come into the United States loaded up with human traffic. So they want to take down the wall. They want to have open borders. Think of open borders today, though, with the pandemic. I mean, the timing is sort of interesting, but with the pandemic. So there's never been a time when two candidates were so different. I mean, I've seen races where it's like the same exact platforms. I'm even talking about essentially Democrat, Republican. There's not that much difference. There's a little difference, but there's not much. You choose one because you like the way they look. You like the way they sound. You like the way they talk. You like something about one, and you don't like the other. But there's, you know, there's never been a difference. Here's one of the greatest differences. This is, without question, the single biggest difference. If you want law and order, for instance, I enacted recently when I saw all that was going on with federal monuments. We don't have the right to do states, although we're going to tr we're trying to find it. But with the monuments where they wanted to rip down Andrew Jackson, they wanted to rip down George Washington, they were actually heading over to the Jefferson Memorial, if you can believe that. But this has been going on, and I found an act that we've used. And we have many, many people in jail right now, many, many people in jail all over the country because they tried to destroy or, in some cases, got, got it down. A, federal statue or monument. We haven't had anybody making a move since I enacted this. I signed an executive order a couple of weeks ago. And it says very simply, 10 years in jail. You do it, 10 years in jail. The amazing part is we were able to catch everybody because thanks to all of you on television, we appreciate it. But we have their pictures. We have the man standing on Andrew Jackson's horse. We have the man standing by General George Washington. We have everybody standing in a uh, — they were going to go for the Emancipation Proclamation, Abraham Lincoln, standing with a young man who was being freed. And we said, we're going to do something. We can't let this happen. Now, it could be removed at some point. You go through a process, a legal process, go through Congress, whatever. I understand that. Uh, at the same time, some people like these statues and monuments, but it can be removed, but you have to go through a legal process. So they were going to have twenty to 25,000 people that night. Nobody showed up. Nobody. You know that because you were disappointed to see that. The next night, I believe 22 people showed up. They said, we're going to make it Friday night instead. And 22 people showed up. Four were actually arrested because we have pictures of them knocking down other statues. So they're in jail now. So there has never been an election where we've had this kind of difference. We want strong borders. Without borders, you've heard me say it a thousand times. Without borders, you don't have a country. They don't want to have borders. They want to have open borders. It's radical left, and it'll destroy our country. We're going to take a brief break, and we'll be right back.
Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. You know, to watch the president talk now, it's almost an hour and a half, uh, substantively, clearly, uh, in plain English. Everyone knows what he's saying. Everyone understands. And to point out the differences between him and the incredibly radical Biden-Sanders agenda. This is outstanding, and I think it needs to be done every couple of weeks. Um, and um, I understand the other news entities are not going to cover it, but so what? Let's go to it for, for another minute or two for now. Go ahead. I want to know if you had any reaction to that. Dude. No, I, I wish her the best. I hope she's better. I didn't hear that, actually. She was just hospitalized. No, that's too bad. No, I wish her the best. I don't know who they're talking she's about. She's actually giving me... A, some good rulings, okay? So you know that, right? People were surprised. Now, I wish you the absolute best. Please. Thank you, Mr. President. So you were mentioned the travel bans, and I wonder when do you plan to reveal that because the European countries are in a, a situation is under control, much a better place than the U.S., and there is no ban for other hotspots like Russia and India. So what will be the criteria to change that? And I, another question. Well, you know, we've banned for Europe. And at some point, that'll come off. And we're dealing with them all the time. The relationships are good. They just don't treat us very well on trade. Uh, they are. They have been very unfair to us over many, many decades. And we're doing that. It's very easy to solve. I was all set to solve it, actually. And then we got hit with the, the plague. But uh, we have a travel ban on various countries. And that travel ban remains until such time as we say it doesn't remain. All right, folks. Bottom of the hour. Hard break. We're going to jump into the program with both feet when we return, and I'll be right back. Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God, 
Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it'll continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Ever notice how you come across somebody once in a while that you shouldn't have messed with? That's Mark. And you can call him at 877-381-3811. I thought the president did a magnificent job. Mr. Callscorn, do you agree? Mr. Producer, you agree? And they don't always agree with me. That was outstanding. That was... I mean, really, well over an hour. Uh, the president speaks very lucidly. He speaks uh, from the heart. He, uh, he's not your typical politician who dresses things up and takes 15 sentences to say one sentence. He made it abundantly clear that Biden has embraced and is promoting an extraordinarily radical agenda, which will have as its purpose to fundamentally alter citizenship in this country, to strengthen the power of the Democrat Party, to massively increase the size of the federal government, the welfare state, people come into this country, they even illegal, will immediately qualify for welfare benefits, food stamps, student loans. You can see what will happen. You can see what will happen. It's very important to remember something. And I take this, I I pulled out all these books that I've written, apart from Rescuing Sprite, and there's seven of them. And they cover everything from the Supreme Court, to the distinction between liberty and tyranny, to what I saw happening in this country, Ameritopia, the Liberty Amendments, when we controlled so many of the state legislatures, I had hoped that we could push that through quickly, and I think we can still do it if we keep at it. Plunder and deceit, which was really aimed at younger people to explain how they're getting ripped off, even though they don't think they are, but they are. Rediscovering Americanism, crucially important, and unfreedom of the press. Here's the deal. Here's the deal, as I pointed out in Ameritopia. The symptoms of the tyranny that threaten liberty and republicanism have been acknowledged throughout time, including by iconic Americans. Supreme Court Associate Justice Joseph Story, among America's most prominent legal thinkers. In 1829, he said, governments are not always overthrown by direct and open assaults. They're not always battered down by the arms of conquerors or the successful daring of usurpers. There's often concealed the dry rot, which eats into the vitals, When all is fair and stately on the outside and republics, this has been the more common fatal disease. The continual drippings of corruption may wear away the solid rock when the tempest has failed to overturn it. Abraham Lincoln, 1838, in his famous Young Men's Lyceum speech, Springfield, Illinois, he said, at what point... Is the approach of danger to be expected? I answer, if it ever reach us, it must spring up amongst us. It cannot come from abroad. If destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be its author and finisher. 
In a nation of free men, we must live through all time or die by suicide. President Reagan, and I ended liberty and tyranny with this, as you well know. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States when men were free. So I've been doing some more thinking about all this. You look at the these so-called progressives. What is progressivism? Well, I wrote an entire book on it, but I want to put a fine point on it, even finer than in the book. What is progressivism? There's nothing progressive about it. What is it? And so I've come to the dark conclusion that it's America's form of Marxism. It is Marxism adapted to the American system. You cannot have full-throated Marxism, certainly not right away in the United States, given our Constitution, given our elections. But his story, and Lincoln and Reagan said, one day the lights can go out. One day the lights can go out. Progressivism, as I've also said before, is the bastard child of Marxism. But it is the American left's application of Marxism to the American Republic. That's what it is. And when you look at the early so-called progressives, who are really soft Marxists, they actually rooted for Lenin. They actually rooted for Mao. They actually rooted for Castro. And those revolutions, so-called, those revolutions and others have resulted in the death, in the name of Marxism, of 100 million human beings. In the worst days of slavery in the United States, we never saw anything like that. 100 million. And still counting. Because the most populous country on the face of the earth is slaughtering today the Uyghurs and anybody else that dares to stand up to it. Hong Kong used to be the freest capitalist territory on the face of the earth. It's been destroyed in six months. In six months. The South China Sea, everybody understands international law has said that's international waters. China claims it. That confrontation is going to come. It's claiming land masses and water areas that belong to Vietnam. Vietnam now turns to the United States, to the Philippines, to the Japanese, and of course to the Taiwanese. You hear nothing, nothing from Joe Biden, Chuck Schumer, and Nancy Pelosi about any of it. Nothing. Now this Americanized Marxism has been extraordinarily successful for the reasons I always say, which is 
There's always been this puzzle. Freedom gives evil people with evil ideologies the freedom to destroy freedom. Now look at our schools. Your child has to go to a government-sanctioned school or you need to get the government's permission to teach the child at home or to send the child to a private school or whatever it is. And what's happened to these schools and what's happened to the textbooks and what's happened to the teaching lessons? What are they? Are they pro-American? Are they patriotic? Are they straight English and literature and mathematics and science and so forth? No. Enormous amount of brainwashing and indoctrination. All day, every day in these classrooms. And as Tom Sowell was explaining on Life, Liberty, and Levin on Sunday, they're trying to make sure that charter schools and private schools and so forth are forced to adopt the same courses. But if you heard the president today, the Democrats have said they're going to eliminate charter schools. Eliminate all of them. Eliminate school choice of any kind. Eliminate it. If that's not a vestige of old slavery, I don't know what is. I don't know what is. And then what have they done? They've made it impossible to apply merit or to remove this massive army of millions of Democrats, not all, but the vast majority, these NEA members and AFT members from the classroom. They give tenure after one year, two years, at most three years in the school systems. So they have a right to their job. A right. And these are public employees. What else does Biden say? He's going to eliminate what else? The right to work. So states that do not have these kinds of union rules for public employees will be forced to adopt them. Forced to adopt them. Forced to adopt them. So even teachers in these states that may not want to be members of the NEA, they have no choice. No choice. This is about the iron fist. That's what Marxism is. But the so-called progressives try to put it in a mitten so you can't notice it. So why do they give tenure to these professors and, at colleges and universities? And these teachers? Well, to protect their army of ideologues. But so they can control the classroom. So by forcing your kid to go to the government facility down the street or across the street or across the block, whatever it is, forcing them to get into the classroom in front of that particular teacher, forcing them to use the textbooks that they choose, forcing them to repeat the lessons plans that they give them, you don't have a chance. You don't have a chance. The country doesn't have a chance. 
Then look at immigration. Again, the American form of Marxism is what I'm talking about. The Americanized Marxism. The American version. Joe Biden, now, probably doesn't know it, but his campaign is out front. Open-ended immigration. Open borders. This is no joke. And if you get into this country, you immediately qualify for the entire offerings of the massive welfare state. You immediately qualify for government medical coverage. You immediately qualify for student loans, or in the case of Biden-Sanders, free college. So you can see you're going to have tens of millions of people come into this country, overwhelm the country, not because they want to be Americans, not because they want to have allegiance to America. I mean, the American Marxists don't have allegiance to America. They're pulling down statues. Because they want to come here for the benefits. Not for the liberty. That will end the country. That will end the country. And the Democrats know this because as I tell you over and over again, they put party first. Just like the communist parties in these other regimes, the American Marxist model puts the Democrat party first. So the Democrat party comes before country or anything else. It's the party. Members of the party. Members of the party are protected. You look at entertainment. So much of entertainment in this country is propaganda. Whether you watch late night comedians, which I used to watch all the time, but now I don't because it's just too much. So propaganda takes many forms. Assemblies at school, a television series, movies, comedy shows, the culture. It's the culture. So it makes tyranny or the American model of Marxism, cool. It's cool. And you want to be cool, particularly if you're young, right? So it's socially attractive. It's just very cool. And then you have what I call post-constitutionalism. Where the power has moved away from individuals, to the state, whatever the state is. It can be the city, it can be the state itself, or it can be the federal government. But it's moved mostly away from the people to the unelected elements, whether it's the federal courts, the state courts, whether it's the bureaucracy, like the teachers' unions and so forth. And so... While you go through the motions of representative government, you go through the motions of voting, it's either inconsequential or of little consequence in many communities. I'm not saying for president as an example. I'm just saying in many communities. And if we reelect Donald Trump, God willing, he's still going to be up against it because the bureaucracy is built to support the Democrat Party and vice versa. The bureaucracy is the army of the Democrat Party, whether it's the local teachers' union or whether it's the unions and the federal bureaucracy, whatever it is, they serve the Democrat Party and the Democrat Party feeds them and nurtures them. So when a Republican or a Trump is elected, he's already on his heels immediately. When a Democrat's elected, they embrace one another 
and they further empower one another. More when I return. I'll be right back. Mark Levin. Hillsdale College serves four purposes, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Education and faith thrive in freedom, and freedom requires an educated people, a people of good character to preserve it. Hillsdale has been providing the education needed to preserve free government for 175 years. It continues to provide that education today, not only to its 1,500 undergraduate and graduate students, but nationwide through its online courses, its support of classical K-12 charter schools, and its other outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. Hillsdale's Articles of Association, dating back to 1844, commit the college to preserving the blessings of civil and religious liberty through the provision of sound learning. This learning includes the Constitution. It includes the laws of nature and nature's God. Hillsdale's motto is pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. And it will continue to fight to live up to that motto, come what may. Learn more. Go to levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. What you never hear from a Joe Biden or a Bernie Sanders or their media is discussion about liberty. Especially not individual liberty or private property rights or competition. Joe Biden gave a speech today, a very slurred speech. And he gave a speech today. And all he talked about is what government's going to do. And government's going to, because he's a man of government, he has spent his entire life at the highest levels of government in Washington, D.C. And they don't think about individual liberty, let alone about liberty. They don't think about private property rights. They don't think about competition. They think about social engineering, redistribution of wealth, empowering themselves, centralizing power, how to connive around the Constitution's limits. And that's what Joe Biden is, and that's what he does, and Bernie Sanders too. Now, in this milieu that I've been talking about, you have the press. The press is of the same mindset in the same genre as our schools today, as immigration policy today, as entertainment today. They're one and the same. They're one and the same. I'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here, our number 877 381 3811 877. 381-3811. You know, I've been thinking about this Deshaun Jackson post that Stephen A. Smith and I discussed, and many of you are aware of, which has to be one of the most contemptible, 
anti-Semitic statements or posts. Period. Farrakhan-like. And I've been waiting days, and I've been keeping track. And the reaction from the National Football League commissioner's office was very watered down. It was inappropriate, and so it was more than inappropriate. The reaction from the Philadelphia Eagles, very watered down. And for those of you who don't know, he's a receiver. He's a very good one. Reaction from some other professional athletes has been absolutely outrageous. Some are retired. But for the most part, the reaction in the National Football League among the players has been silence. Silence. The very thin-skinned about finding systemic racism in that league, but a very thick skin when it comes to anti-Semitism addressed to somebody else. I heard nothing from LeBron James. Nothing. Sky Malcolm Jenkins, who used to be a player for the Eagles, he said this is a distraction. Distraction from what? Now, most of you in the audience are not Jewish. Most of you in the audience are Christians. And thank God for my Christian brothers and sisters. Thank God. We Jews were a tiny minority, folks. There's not a lot of us. All these thousands of years of extermination and enslavement, there's not a lot of us. There's not a lot of us in America. It may seem like there is, but there aren't. And so when people of goodwill do speak out, you have no idea how appreciative somebody like me is. But when they're silent, I'm concerned. I believe there is a level of anti-Semitism now in professional sports with the National Football League and the National Basketball Association in the leagues, in these leagues, in these professional leagues, which are majority-minority membership, majority-majority ownership, that is clearly anti-Semitic. Why would you sit on your hands? Why wouldn't you say anything after all the talk about Black Lives Matter? Moreover, Black Lives Matter is an openly anti-Semitic organization with its BDS movement, but it's worse than that. We saw things take place in the Fairfax part of Los Angeles during these riots where the Jewish synagogues were targeted. The media mostly ignored it. The people who speak up for Black Lives Matter have completely ignored it. They pretend it doesn't even exist. And then almost every day there's a story about Brooklyn, New York, where a Hasidic Jew has the crap beat out of him. Because you can tell a Hasidic Jew from other people based on the clothes they wear, their beards, how they grow their hair. And they're targeted. 
and they're targeted by the mayor, de Blasio. But they walk across the street, and some thug comes up and sucker punches them, or several thugs. And this is going on all the time now. And it's being mainstreamed. All right, big deal, you know, whatever. You haven't seen virtually any stories on CNN or MSNBC about this. Or even my favorite cable network. Fox doesn't show much about this. You certainly see almost nothing on network news. It just doesn't rate. It doesn't rate. Look at the Democrat Party. Look at the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party base. You know, you have this senator from Hawaii who is so despicable, such a racist, that she should be expelled from the Senate. She's a disgusting human being. The things that come out of her mouth that Trump's base is White supremacists? She doesn't know Trump's base. Talks like this. That said, you have a Democrat party that's electing more and more anti-Semites. It has a growing voice within the Democrat party. You have the Congressional Black Caucus that embraces Farrakhan. I'm just telling it like it is, ladies and gentlemen. Farrakhan. Every single Democrat who sought the presidential nomination went to New York to meet with Sharpton. Like he doesn't have a past. And then they sign letters, the Democrat House and the Democrats in the Senate, threatening the Prime Minister of Israel, telling him, you better not Annex, they call it annex. You better not annex your ancestral homes. 30%, effectively, of Judea and Samaria. You better not, because we're going to punish you. They don't talk that way to anybody else. Anybody else. You have the Republicans who vote against Steve King for things he said. You have Republicans who distance themselves as fast as they can. From David Duke and others who try to wear the cloak of a Republican Party. You don't see that on the Democrat side. They're embracing Black Lives Matter, which is an anti-Semitic, anti-American, Marxist, anarchist organization. A violent group. Antifa, same damn thing. They don't denounce them. They embrace them. They paint BLM or Black Lives Matter on their streets. On their streets. You have sportscasters and athletes who think this is all cool. Don't be distractive, says Malcolm Jenkins. He's distracted, you know. If I wasn't here behind the microphone telling you what took place in L.A., a pogrom that took place where one-third of the synagogues, the Orthodox synagogues, were desecrated, you wouldn't even know it. You wouldn't even know it. 
when you see the unraveling of the civil society, like we have seen over the last two or three months, you see history repeating itself with the Jews. You see history repeating itself with the looting and the arson and the media turning the other cheek, if not embracing it. And always one party, always one party that celebrates it. And it's always the Democrat Party. Whether it's slavery or segregation or Jim Crow, whether it's Marxism, it's the Democrat Party, the Hate America, Anti-America Party. And that's what it's been nearly since, since its establishment. It's the party of the media. It's the party of the New York Times. It's the party of CNN and MSNBC. It's the party that controls the House of Representatives and sought to topple a duly elected president. It's the party that seeks to get the Senate and get rid of the filibuster rule and get the presidency and change completely the population of the country to destroy capitalism through massive government overreach, to stuff the courts with people like Judge Jackson and Judge Sullivan and the four liberal horses of the liberal apocalypse, I guess of the constitutional apocalypse on the Supreme Court. I can never watch the NBA again, and I can never watch the NFL again. I know what they think of me, and I know what they think of you. I am not going to empower these people with my money and giving them ratings. I am not going to empower these people as they live better than almost any other human being on the face of the earth while they whine about this country. They have no conception about the real history of this country and how they have benefited from it. None whatsoever. I'll be right back. in. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. What kind of country have we become when we watch little babies and young kids and teenagers getting slaughtered every damn day in our cities? And the parents 
in unimaginable pain crying out to us through the TV screen. What kind of a country have we become that tolerates this? It is, it is so heart-wrenching. And then we shut the TV, we go up dinner, and we move on. No. This is what the Democrat Party and the left has done to these cities. This is what they've done to our police forces in this country. They're victims. This American form of Marxism has created victims and more and more victims. The insanity of these left-wing movements, whether they're dressed up as race movements or dressed up as economic movements or dressed up as immigration movements, whatever the hell they are, the insanity of it is costing people their lives. I'm not hearing people who were big mouth two weeks ago talking out about these little babies getting slaughtered. Are you? No, you're not. I'm going to read you something. I've got about six minutes left in this segment. I'll read as much as I can. By Barry Weiss. I don't know Barry Weiss. I understand she is moderately conservative. uh, Part of sort of this young... uh, internet movement and whatever, it really doesn't matter. But she writes a letter to the, uh, to the latest Ox Sulzberger, who uh, runs the newspaper, and she's resigned. It's with sadness that I write to tell you that I'm resigning from the New York Times. I joined the paper with gratitude and optimism three years ago. I was hired with the goal of bringing in voices that would not otherwise appear in your pages. First-time writers, centrists, conservatives and others who would not naturally think of the Times as their home. The reason for this effort was clear. The paper's failure to anticipate the outcome of the 2016 election meant that it didn't have a firm grasp on the country it covers. Dean Paquette, who now runs the damn thing as the managing editor, and others have admitted as much on various occasions. The priority in opinion was to help redress that critical shortcoming. But the lessons that ought to have followed the election, lessons about the importance of understanding other Americans the necessity of resisting tribalism and the centrality of the free exchange of ideas to a democratic society have not been learned. Instead, a new consensus has emerged in the press, but perhaps especially at this paper. That truth is in a process of collective discovery, but an orthodoxy already known to an enlightened few whose job is to inform everyone else. And of course, this is the whole point of my book on freedom of the press, which was never reviewed, by the way in the opinion section of the New York Times. Twitter is not on the masthead of the New York Times, but Twitter has become its ultimate editor, as the ethics and mores of that platform have become those of the paper. The paper itself has increasingly become a kind of performance space. Stories are chosen and told in a way to satisfy the narrowest of audiences. And by the way, this is the entire media. Rather than to allow a curious public to read about the world and then draw their own conclusions. I was always taught that journalists were charged with writing the first rough draft of history. Now, history itself is one more ephemeral thing molded to fit the needs of a predetermined narrative. My own forays into wrong think have made me the subject of constant bullying by colleagues who disagree with my views. They have called me a Nazi and a racist. 
I've learned to brush off comments about how I'm, quote, writing about the Jews again, unquote. Several colleagues perceived to be friendly with me were badgered by coworkers. My work and my character are openly demeaned on company-wide Slack channels where masthead editors regularly weigh in. There, some coworkers insist I need to be rooted out if this company is to be truly in- an inclusive one. While others post emojis next to my name. Still other New York Times employees publicly smear me as a liar and a bigot on Twitter with no fear that harassing me will be met with appropriate action. They never are. There are terms for all this. Unlawful discrimination, hostile work environment, and constructive discharge. I'm no legal expert, but I know that this is wrong. I don't understand how you have allowed this kind of behavior to go on inside your company in full view of the paper's entire staff and the public. And I certainly can't square how you and other Times leaders have stood by while simultaneously uh, praising me in private for my courage. Showing up for work as a centrist at an American newspaper should not require bravery. Part of me wishes I could say that my experience was unique, but the truth is that intellectual curiosity, let alone risk-taking, is now a liability at the New York Times. Why edit something challenging to our readers or write something bold only to go through the numbing process of making it ideologically kosher when we can assure ourselves of job security and clicks by publishing our 400th op-ed arguing that Donald Trump is a unique danger to the country and the world. And so self-censorship has become the norm. This is the same at the Washington Post. And shockingly, the chairman of the Washington Post is the chairman of the Reagan Library and Foundation. More on that in another day in the future. What rules that remain at the Times are applied with extreme selectivity. If a person's ideology is in keeping with the new orthodoxy, they and their work remain unscrutinized. Everyone else lives in fear of the digital thunderdome. Online venom is excused so long as it's directed at the proper targets. Op-eds that would have easily been published just two years ago would now get an editor or a writer in serious trouble if not fired. If a piece is perceived as likely to inspire backlash internally or on social media, the editor or writer avoids pitching it, and it goes on and on and on. This is an incredibly powerful and comprehensive indictment of not just the New York Times, but the entire media in our country today. The entire media in our country today. I'll be right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. is the nation's town hall meeting and you can join in at 877-381-3811 just briefly i've mentioned this before many years ago i said to my father and mother who were jewish obviously and they lived in a basement apartment in north philadelphia and they were quite poor and they were republicans they voted for barry goldwater in 1964 i said why did you vote for barry goldwater in 1964 
And my dad said to me, I knew all that crap, he used a different word, I knew all that crap they were saying about Goldwater couldn't be true. So I voted for him. I know all the crap they're saying about my friend, Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida, isn't true. And I know that Governor DeSantis follows the science and the data. Governor, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Mark. How are you doing? I'm doing very, very well. Tell us what's going on in Florida, the truth rather than the media propaganda and the static. Yeah, so we um, uh, obviously went through March, April, you know, did well. Everyone was predicting disaster. didn't happen. We went into uh, phase one reopening beginning of May. And we had about six weeks where we had very low numbers, people, low hospital traffic, low positivity rate. As we got into the middle of June, uh, started to see more cases. And um, obviously, we're testing a lot more as well. Uh, so you started to see that. You saw more hospital traffic. Um, and so that's kind of where we are now. We have uh, heavily in Miami-Dade County in terms of, uh, of what we're seeing. I mean, we are seeing things statewide, but that's the most acute. Um, and so, you know, but we're well positioned to deal with it. I mean, remember, Mark, the whole idea of flattening the curve was that you would spread out the infections over a longer period of time so that the healthcare system would be able to handle uh, the people that got infected and needed care. And so here in Florida, you know, we have abundant capacity uh, in the hospitals. We have now have some of these treatments that seem to be working, whether it's convalescent plasma or this drug, uh, remdesivir. Uh, you also have things like PPE supply is really good. We have basically a testing industrial complex. I mean, everyone gets tested. We've done uh, the last seven days, we've averaged 90,000 tests mm. a day uh, in the state of Florida. And so that's more than the U.S. was doing, you know, at the beginning of March. And so part of the reason we have more cases is because we're just testing everybody. So we're getting a lot of asymptomatic. Uh, but but I think Florida's the same as a lot of the Sun Belt. I mean, you have seen more spread uh, kind of in the later part of June into July. Uh, and I don't know if that's a seasonal uh, component, uh, but we seem to see the same thing that we're seeing in, in Texas. Arizona and Southern California. Now, you know, Governor DeSantis, this is a pandemic. It is a virus. There's only so much human beings can do to control it. You can do some things to manage it, some things to to try and avoid it. You did many things uh, with nursing homes and assisted living facilities and the elderly and so forth. But the pandemic, the, the reason it's a pandemic is because it's something that's somewhat, at least, out of control. And so are you not concerned how the, how the media and how politicians try to exploit this, like it's just not being managed properly? Yeah, well, honestly, I, I don't pay attention to most of the criticism. I mean, but, you know, what, what we did from really the beginning is we saw that this was a respiratory virus that uh, had a disproportionate impact on elderly. Uh, and so we really worked, uh, like you mentioned, with the nursing homes. Uh, we Not only did we not have visitation, but we barred hospitals sending COVID-positive nursing home patients back to the nursing home because that would be a tinderbox, as we saw in other states, where it would spread and whatnot. Uh, and then that was March into April. We've tested now all the nursing home residents. Uh, we've tested the staff. Uh, we start, we've now have 15 dedicated COVID-positive 
nursing facilities so that if you do have a resident who tests positive but they don't need to be hospitalized, they can be transferred to a COVID-only unit uh, and be safely isolated. If they're in the hospital and they don't require further hospitalization but they're still contagious, they can be sent to these COVID-only units. So we've really worked hard on that, and I think that that is, if we had not done that and adopted some of the other policies, we would have had thousands and thousands of more uh, fatalities in our long-term care centers. So it's something that's very, very important. But we also have messaged with senior citizens, groups like the villages, um, about you know taking, limiting the close contact outside the home, taking taking care uh, to know that the virus is out there. And by and large, in Florida, I mean these seniors have responded very well. So our view was, you know, you can't you can't just stop it; it does spread. Uh, but we wanted to protect the people who were the most vulnerable to it. So a lot of the cases, you know, that we've seen in Florida have been people in their 20s and 30s who, you know, are at very low risk. Um, the hospitalization rates are incredibly low, and the fatality rate is basically zero unless you have uh, really significant comorbidities. And so that is kind of how how the um, the science, I think, dictated, you know, to put our emphasis on really supporting the elderly. And so some of these cases, too, Mark. If New York and some of these states were doing, uh, we did 144,000 tests two days ago. If they had done 144,000 tests, they wouldn't have gotten just 15,000 like we did, and that was made a big deal of. They would have 50 or 60 or 70,000 positives. And so um, some of the stuff with these cases, I think, just gets gets overblown. Um, but it is what it is. But we've always kept our eye on the ball. We're continuing to do things to protect the most vulnerable. And I think that is the best strategy uh, to be able to uh, limit as best we can uh, the mortality and morbidity that results from this virus. What is, and I don't mean to ask you this off the top of your head, but in the ballpark, what is the overall fatality rate? And I ask this cautiously because there's a lot of dispute about how the CDC even determines if somebody has died primarily from the virus or they had comorbidities and so forth. There's a lot of controversy around that. But generally speaking, in Florida, what would, what would the number be, do you think? So I think, uh, so there's two different ways to think about it. One is the case fatality rate. So how many fatalities result from the cases? So plus some of the northeastern states, they're like 6, 7, 8% case fatality rate. In Florida, we're 1.5% mm-hmm. case fatality rate. But people, I think, realize that just because you have a, a case, that's just a detected infection. There are many, many more infections that have occurred and are occurring. And CDC has recently estimated that there are 10 times as many infections as there are cases. Well, if that's true in Florida, our 1.5% case fatality rate then goes to potentially like a 0.15. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe it's a little higher than that, but I think what, what it is is – you know, if you're under 70 without comorbidities, it is incredibly, incredibly low. Um, but that's the thing with these cases. Even though we have a very low case fatality rate, I mean, the U.S.'s rate as a whole, I think, is 4% for the case fatality. Ours is 1.5%. I have some major counties uh, that are under half a percent, like Orange County. I have Hillsborough and Tampa, which is under just under 1%. Um, part of that, I think, is because uh, I think the, the doctors have done a good job treating folks, and I do think we've shielded the most vulnerable, um, you know, as best we could, and that's led to the rate being lower. But the infection fatality rate, you'd have, you would have to 
uh, calculate all the infections that were never documented. And a lot of times you rely on serological studies about who has antibodies. And we're seeing in Florida, we do antibody testing, and now we're seeing basically a 10% positive rate as people come through and do that. Um, and so that's definitely a sense that however many cases we have, just like everywhere else, there's many, many more infections that have occurred. But when you're looking at the true fatality rate, you really do need to look at overall infections, not just cases. Because if I change my testing criteria, mm -hmm. right now we test anyone that comes through the door. But if I said, you know, you've got to be 50 and have, um, and have symptoms, well, all of a sudden, you know, my cases would go down 90% because most of who we're testing don't have symptoms. And so the cases are contingent on the number of tests and the testing criteria that you're using. The infections, there, there's an estimate of how many of those have happened, and that's just the number, and then you just divide the fatalities by that, and that's your infection fatality rate. Just, just to be clear for everybody, and what you're saying and what the president is saying, the more people you test, the more you're going to find this virus. And so, I mean, that's just logical. It could be the same thing with the flu, or the common cold, whatever it is. Then you, you, the denominator grows and grows and grows and grows. And so the mortality rate as a percentage goes down and down and down and down. The testing has gotten a lot better, hasn't it, Governor? Well, I think the volume of testing has. I mean, the, you know, we're doing now as a country, I think, 750,000 tests a day. The state of Florida, as I mentioned, we've averaged 90,000 tests a day the last seven days. Um, but I think what's happening is because so many of the tests are being done on basically healthy people, people either have zero symptoms or incredibly mild symptoms and who tend to be younger, um, uh, those are backing up the labs, and so some of the turnaround isn't what we would, would want, whereas I think if we were only testing symptomatic, you'd have probably uh, a fraction of the tests being conducted, but I think they'd probably be turned around a little quicker. So there is some somewhat of a capacity issue just because we're doing – we are testing more than anywhere in the world by far, and just the state of Florida. I mean, for us every day now to be doing 90,000 on average, uh, I mean, that's just an incredible amount of tests that are being done Every hospital now, if you go in for anything, you're getting swabbed and you're getting tested for corona, even if you're not uh, being treated for coronavirus. So all the expected mothers are getting swabbed. If you get in a car accident and you go, you get swabbed and you get tested. So it's, it's been a really massive expansion, but most of the expansion focuses on those people going into the hospital for other reasons or a lot of asymptomatic people who are coming. Maybe they're testing for work. Maybe they feel like they've been exposed. And then as this has gotten more play, you know, in the media, some people just feel like, hey, I need to get tested, so they go get tested. So it's, um, it's a much different mix today than March or April in terms of the, the types of people, um, in terms of their age and their symptoms that are being tested. And what's amazing about this is four or five months ago, we didn't have a test. The, word, the, the test that they had at the CDC was utterly ineffective. And so all this has had to be built from the bottom up pretty much, hasn't it? Yeah, no, it has. And I think that there's a, there's a bunch of different things out there. There's more new things on the horizon. What we've done, Mark, is our next step to protect nursing homes was, okay, we've tested the residents. Now we just need to keep testing the staff on a periodic basis. So we partnered with a company where we send the test to the nursing homes. It's a self-swab. 
they swab it, they package it, send it to the lab, and the lab runs everything every 36 hours. So it's actually been a pretty good, pretty good thing. So there's all these new things. I think they're working on a breath test. I know they have a saliva test. So there's a whole bunch of things that are coming down the pike, and that's really a testament to American uh, ingenuity. The one thing I think the drawback with the PCR testing, though, is when you're testing asymptomatic people, uh, this will pick up kind of dead virus for up to 30 days. So you do have people who probably were infected in the past but are definitely not contagious anymore, uh, and then they will pop positive. And so then they got to isolate for 14 days. So there's not a good way to distinguish between uh, live virus and dead virus. Now, if you have symptoms, you assume the, the virus is live. But if you're asymptomatic, it may be contagious still, but you also could be in day like 25 since you've been infected. At that point, the virus is dead. You're not mm-hmm. going to pass it along to anybody. Last, last point, schools. I mean, NBC had this amazing, <laughs> this an amazing segment on Sunday where they had five randomly selected experts, infectious disease experts, all of whom have school-aged children. And every one of them said they would send their kids to school. Every one of them said they're not carriers. Uh, they're, 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 that there's almost no chance whatsoever that they would be affected. You're following the science when it comes to schools, correct? No, exactly, Mark. I mean, we knew kind of in March that for whatever reason, uh, people under 18 were at very, very low risk, certainly lower risk than they are for seasonal influenza. We didn't necessarily know at the time, though, would they serve as like the vectors to spread it? Then that's typically what happens with flu, that the kids like a Petri dish at schools, they infect their parents, teachers, and it spreads throughout the community. Well, everybody who's looked at this, and most of the European countries have done great studies, you know, they've shown that uh, kids, particularly primary school kids, are just not vectors of transmission, that when they get infected, and they probably are less likely to anyways, but they, the adults infect the kids. It's not the other way around. In fact, there was one study where they had um, a kid that had influenza and COVID-19, and they contact traced his, his, uh, his, his exposures, and he, he infected like 40 people with the flu and not one with COVID-19. So mm-hmm. for whatever reason, uh, the, the school setting is not likely to be one that's going to increase transmission in the community. So they're not really vectors, and they're obviously very low risk. So my question would be, what are the risks of not allowing them to go to have access to school? Because you have a lot of problems that result. It's very tough on low-income families. It deprives uh, kids of a lot of opportunities. And so, so our view is, is, look, I believe in school choice, Mark. If you as a parent just don't feel comfortable and you want to opt for distance learning, God bless you. I think you should have that choice. Uh, but for the parents who want their kids in school, you know, we need to provide that option for them. And um, yeah, I know the charter schools, private schools, a lot of them will be doing it. But obviously for our school districts, we want to see options there as well. Well, all I can say is this. Personally, i got to get the hell out of this state. You know, I have a home in Florida, as you well know, Governor. i got to get the hell out of Virginia, where the kooks have taken over, and get to Florida. Because then I'd have a great governor. God bless well, you, sir. Well, I will show up and we'll christen your new underground bunker <laughs> when you do it. So, I, I appreciate it. All right, take care of yourself. Best of the family. He's a good man. I'll be right back. Lovin. My friends, our world is connected more than ever. Now, what does that mean? It means that we're affected by things happening on the other side of the world, like wars, like pestilence, and of course, in our own country, the turmoil. 
Now, this could all mean danger to our economy, but smart investors are using this as an opportunity to buy gold. Gold is at an all-time high, and I believe it's going to go higher. That's why I want you to call my friends at Advantage Gold. They're a five-star company that I personally trust with my gold purchases. Call them today at 800-900-8000 for a 100% free gold investment guide to show you how you could use gold and silver to help turn global chaos into financial opportunity. That's 800-900-8000. Plus, tell them I sent you, and they'll give you a special Mark Levin discount worth up to $1,300 if you qualify. Call Advantage Gold today, 800-900-8000. Tell them Mark Levin sent you. Performance may vary. Past performance It's not necessarily indicative of future results. You should always consult your financial and tax professionals. You're not going to want to miss the next hour, particularly the top of the next hour. This NBC News story, I'm going to play the whole thing. And everybody's getting it from the same place over there at Right Scoop. But I always give credit where credit is due. I want to thank Right Scoop, our man Brian over there. You're going to want to listen to this whole thing. Because shockingly, it comes from NBC. And I think they were shocked that it actually turned out the way it did, the story that is. So you won't want to miss that. Everyone knows PayPal, right? But did you know they're teaming up with Honey to save you a lot of money? Honey is the free, free online shopping tool that automatically finds the best promo codes and applies them to your cart. And now it's part of the PayPal family. Just add Honey to your computer and shop on all your favorite sites like you normally would. When you check out, just click the little Apply Coupons button that pops up. Wait a few seconds for Honey to scan its database of all the working coupons on the web, then watch your price drop. Honey works on nearly every online store, including Walmart, DoorDash, Home Depot, Lululemon, Macy's, and more. And... Money has found over two billion dollars in savings. That's why it has over <clears throat> excuse me, that's why it has over one hundred thousand five star reviews on the Google Chrome store. Not using honey is literally passing up free money. It's kind of foolish not to use it because honey is free to you. It's free to use. It installs in literally seconds. So get honey today. Here's how you do it. Simple. Go to joinhoney.com slash Levin. That's joinhoney.com slash L-E-V-I-N. Joinhoney.com slash Levin. You won't regret it. Now, the next hour when we play this, this news piece, you're going to see that it, Donald Trump has been following the science from day one. He's been following the science from day one. The fact is that Dr. Anthony Fauci has in many respects been all over the map. So you're president of the United States. You get all kinds of input. And the president has tried pretty much to follow Fauci, but it's impossible to follow Fauci now. You follow Fauci now, you'll destroy America. You'll destroy the economy. And you elect all the Democrats. That's why the media and the Democrats keep holding up Fauci. Oh my goodness, why? They're putting out talking points. You don't have to put out talking points. The guy never stops talking. He shows up everywhere. You got a pandemic, and this guy's like a media star. He's, he's on the BBC. He's on Voice of America. He's on CNN. He's on airport radar. The guy's everywhere. 
How the hell do you keep track of what's going on when you're on TV more than Lindsey Graham? May I say that, Mr. Producer? I think I will. So you're not going to want to miss this. We'll be right back. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building we've once again made contact with our leader Mark Levin Hello America Mark Levin here our number 877-381-3811 877-381-3811 by the way Sometimes people say, well, not many, they say, why do you talk about your books? Because, ladies and gentlemen, if I don't talk about them, no other broadcaster will. I, thanks to you, sell more books about the various subjects we discuss than any author in America. Any. Unfreedom of the Press sold over half a million copies. Most of you listening purchased a copy. Unfreedom of the Press, which is from May 2019, 14 months ago, lays out chapter and verse of what Barry Weiss is talking about today. Now, she was there at the New York Times. But everything that's in that letter is in the book. And, obviously, much more. She's just the most recent example. There have been others. She's just the most recent example, and she wrote a very articulate and very important letter. But there is an entire book on this subject that many of you have read. And I don't understand why many of my colleagues on Fox should read it, many of my enemies on CNN and MSNBC should read it, and so forth and so on. They can always burn it. They're good at burning books over there on the left. But it's not like Rediscovering Americanism or Meritopia, which are very graduate-level type books, this is a book that, that, that's easily digestible. Easily digestible. And uh, just go ahead and look on Amazon and look at the comments. I'm not even telling you to buy it. It's, I'm not even talking about us in the audience here, you, you folks in the audience here. I'm just saying people who, who are part of the commentariat, commentariat, the book is chapter and verse on all this that's going on, and it, and it even goes much deeper. All right, I promised you, and this is important. Yehemika Brzezinski, who's a moron, she's married to a moron. She's on a moron network that hires bigots like Joy Reid and Al Sharpton and others. Uh, sort of a breakaway station, if you will, but nonetheless. They attack the president that he doesn't follow the science. The president follows the science, and he's been following the science. He's a thousand times smarter than these morons who comment about him. He's following the science. 
The big dummy governor of New York doesn't even know what science is. Give him a chemistry set, he'll blow up the mansion there. But I want you to listen to this, because I normally don't play NBC News, a segment from NBC News. This was on Sunday. Well, pediatricians send their own kids back to school. Now, they pick five pediatricians, top experts, not just pediatricians, but experts, professors, most of them, on infectious diseases, all of whom have school-aged children, all of them. And I want you to listen, whether you're a parent, grandparent, or no kids, just, just take a listen. Put up the volume. Cut 14, go. As schools struggle with reopening safely, NBC News reached out to five top pediatricians across the country, a random sampling of doctors to find out just how dangerous the coronavirus is for kids. Our experts agree most children don't get as sick as adults and that serious complications are rare. This has been a strange pandemic because usually for respiratory viruses, children are the first and the most substantially affected. And this has really been a flip of that, where it's our adults and particularly our older adults that have been more affected. In fact, kids only account for 2% of all cases. Doctors say they don't expect that number to significantly increase when schools open because kids don't appear to be good at spreading the virus. Are kids as good at transmitting the virus as adults? The data that's come out now um, seems to show that most transmissions occur from adults to adults or adults to children. The younger you are, probably the less likely you are to be able to transmit the disease. While many teachers are concerned about reopening school so soon, the five doctors we spoke to agreed. The benefits of being in the classroom far outweigh the risk of disease. But the key is to reopen safely. We are... Uh, not seeing transmissions when we're following some simple guidelines. I think each school system is going to have to come up with their own guidelines because you can't just say that one city is just like the next. All agree guidelines should include rules for social distancing. Keep desks three to six feet apart and make sure desks aren't facing each other. Schools may want to consider holding gym classes outside. In your perfect world of sending kids back to school, what would you like seeing set up in those school systems? They should try to um, increase the airflow in the classrooms, um, try to distance as much as possible. I have been doing a lot of um, research looking into face masks. I don't think they're um, necessarily useful in elementary school children. They do um, provide protection, I think, for high school students. Would you let your kids go back to school? I will. My kids are looking forward to it. Yes. Period. Absolutely. Absolutely. As much as I can. (laughs) Without a hesitation. Without a hesitation, yes. I have no concerns about sending my child to school in the fall. I would let my kids go back to school. Dr. John Torres, NBC News. That's five out of five. And these experts, these doctors, include uh, Stanford, Vanderbilt, and other universities and so forth. That's the science, ladies and gentlemen. That is the data. And we have a lot of it right now, more than we had five months ago. It is safe to send little kids back to public school. Not intellectually safe, of course, but physically safe. But the teachers' unions don't want to do it. And like I said last night, they're shaking down, they're blackmailing In L.A., the school system there, they want Medicare for all. 
They want additional money, and they want any money that they cut from the cops to go to them, among other demands. So they view this as an opportunity to hold up the kids. Same thing's going on in New York. The fraud of a governor over there who cost many people their lives and terrible anguish. Also slow out of the chute. And the Democrat Party, all they can say is Trump doesn't know what he's talking about. Trump's too slow. I listen to this guy Biden today as he's slurring through his speech. I don't know if he has loose dentures or, you know, the usual. He says, we, we don't have to choose between a, a vibrant economy and, and conquering the virus. I thought to myself, well, who's choosing between them? The president's doing it all. The administration's trying to do it all. Republican governors are trying to do it all, as you must. You must. You can't pick one over the other. They're inextricably linked. They're inextricably linked. There is nothing else that can be done. Everything's on a fast track, whether it's vaccinations, whether it's therapies, whether it's testing. Everything, all cylinders are running hot. They're running hot in our labs, in our drunk companies, in our technology companies, on our assembly lines, and not just in America, throughout the world. The foot is on the gas pedal right down to the floor. The Democrats don't have any answers. All they have is spitballs. If they had any answers, we wouldn't be in the position we were in months ago in New York and New Jersey and California and Illinois and Michigan. Would we? No. No, we wouldn't. The same party that's burning down our cities, destroying our police forces that will not allow children to go to the best schools in their communities. The same party that wants open borders, that's attacking the flag, the Constitution, monuments, and you. Just give them power, you see. They'll fix it all. They're good at this. And when have they ever done that? When the hell have they ever done that? So the Democrats, ladies, please listen, ladies in the suburbs, white May I say white or shall I say Caucasian? College-educated women in the suburbs. I understand you're teetering and you might vote for Biden. Well, then wake the hell up. Who do you think is... Now, let me put it this way. I said it last week. I'll say it again. Orville Faubus stood in the door to prevent black kids from going to school with white kids. George Wallace stood in the door to prevent black kids from going to school with white kids. Today, who is preventing black kids from going to the best schools in their community? The Democrat Party. Same party. More broadly, who's standing in the schoolhouse doorway today to prevent all little kids from going to school? Or all young teenagers from going to middle school or from going to high to going to high school. Who's standing in the school doorway now? Democrats and their unions. They're not following the science. The media aren't following the science. Well Fauci says give a crap what Fauci says. 
It is they who are standing in the schoolhouse door now, in front of the door to prevent these kids from going to school. And I think we'll know, but it'll be too late for these young kids, this generation of young kids, the impact it has on them psychologically, socially, and the regression that occurs as a result of them not going to school. We're going to learn about this. You'll see stories later in the news media about the abuse of little kids, about the failing of little kids. And one other thing. Whenever you said, you know, we got to cut Head Start. Oh, my God! Maybe we should peel back the student lunch program and not dinner and breath. Whoa! Remember how that played in the press? What, do you hate little kids? Well, if little kids aren't going to these schools, Mr. Producer, how are they getting their meals? How are they getting to Head Start? They're not. Because the Democrat Party cares about the unions, not the kids. The unions care about their members, not their kids. That's the nature of these monopolistic public sector unions. They have enormous power. It is a Soviet-style system. What happened to the school lunches? Well, you know, they were all a little too heavy. They need to lose it. What about nutrition? Well... They can eat the meatless hamburger from uh, what a Burger King. You know, it's okay. It's made of vegetables. Oh, okay. That's cool. There's such frauds. Up and down the chain of issues. There's such frauds. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. If you're a longtime listener to this program, you know that I have mentioned to you to stay away from Wikipedia because it's controlled by leftists. And uh, in many cases, it abuses conservatives. And in my case in particular, it is extremely dishonest as they seek to character assassinate me and smear me. And... I'm not a crybaby about this. I'm just pointing it out. I want to give you a heads up. To my delight and my utter surprise, our friends at Breitbart, which is a tremendous site, and a gentleman by the or maybe a lady by the name of T.D. Adler, it is not the person's real name, wrote a tremendous piece 
which I have linked to on Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. It's also on our Levin TV uh, Facebook site. It's on Blaze TV. It is on Right Scoop, um, Legal Insurrection, I believe, as well. And I want to thank all those wonderful sites for, uh, for pointing this out because I'm not alone in this. And this individual who wrote this piece is a former editor over there at Wikipedia. And I'll say it's a he, and he goes through this chapter and verse. It's actually a lot worse than he says, but chapter and verse, and unravels what's taking place. And there's basically two left-wing editors over there who go under fake names. It's too bad they don't have the real names. Who block people who go in and try and correct the site, many of you, I suppose, uh, so they censor the factual information. They use the most provocative and biased and hateful statements about this program or my books or me or my family and uh, put them up there. And then they have these footnotes and they footnote to these, to these sites. So it's become just another institution utterly destroyed by the left. A propaganda piece. If you read, I guess what they call my article or my page on Wikipedia, you'll not recognize me. Those of you who listen to this program, you'll not recognize me. You'll not recognize my books. You'll not recognize my positions. Uh, So they try and create a caricature. And they try and build that caricature around you. And it's an absolute smear tactic, and they've been doing this for years. It's a multi-year campaign, as Breitbart points out. If the New York Times-Sullivan case hadn't been decided by the Supreme Court, making it virtually impossible for an individual like me to win a defamation suit, you better believe I'd sue their asses, and I'd own that damn site. But I've looked at it, and it's virtually impossible. It's virtually impossible. It's one thing if somebody's trying to take you off the air with a campaign, then you can sue them civilly for tortious interference with your business. And I've warned CARE about this. I've warned other entities about this because that's their goal. But when it comes to defamation, it's very, very tough. But make no mistake about it. That's what this site is about, trying to defame conservatives. And it is absolutely loathsome. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine, full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. 
Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. He's a truck full of hot constitutional asphalt. Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811. Before the end of the show, I'm going to try and get to a couple of you callers, so hang in there. One of my buddies over there, Breitbart, good man, Joel Pollack, smart as hell. He's got a brand new book out there, Red November. Will the country vote red for Trump or red for socialism? I love that. Exactly. You know what, Joel Pollack? We should be blue, right? But somehow we turned into red, the way the, uh, the media put this. So tell us about your book. Mark, this book is about the 2020 Democratic presidential primary, and I covered it from the front lines as a conservative journalist for Breitbart. And I really wanted to drill down and get to the heart of why this party has moved so far to the left. It's been moving closer and closer to outright socialism. And right now, you basically have the most left-wing presidential candidate in the history of this country. People think of Joe Biden as a backslapping politician, but he's not in control. It's Bernie Sanders and Obama alumni who have brought this country to the brink of a socialist revolution in November. Mm-hmm. But Biden, Biden, you know, people talk about his cognitive problems, and he clearly has them. But Biden must know what he's doing, right? Well, I think he does in the sense that he feels like it's pulling people together. He feels he has to reach out to the Bernie Sanders base. He's got to bring them in because, you know, they have no enthusiasm on that side. The one poll in which Trump always beats Biden is enthusiasm. Trump voters want to go out there and vote for him. Biden voters don't really care. And so Biden needs to get the enthusiasm of the Democrat base and really the Democrat socialist base, the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez generation. So he keeps making concessions to the left, concessions to the left. You know, today... He talked about that new Green New Deal that he wants to do. It's basically AOC's policy just five years later. It's amazing because in 2008, when he ran with Barack Obama, he gave a speech in West Virginia saying, I'm for clean coal. Me and Barack, we're for clean coal. We want the coal industry to thrive and survive. And John McCain over there, he's going to end the coal industry. And that was Biden's line literally in October 2008. Twelve years later, he's running on ending all fossil fuels Within 15 years, it's, first of all, undoable. You can't do it. You can't turn on the lights without fossil fuels. You can't even run a solar plant without fossil fuel as a backup. But that's how far he's gone to try to reach out to the left-wing base of the party. I don't know why we really kick him. We don't kick him where it hurts on this carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide's not a pollutant. We're all being told to wear masks, right, Joel? Mm-hmm. Well, what the hell are we inhaling? Our own carbon dioxide. At some point, somebody's going to do a study and say that whole generation of Americans were kooks because they kept inhaling their own carbon dioxide. And we know any of us that have been the third grade, we know that carbon dioxide, plants use it to create oxygen, and we use oxygen and we create carbon dioxide. It's not a pollutant. So this has been a scam from day one. But the fact is, by 2030, they say we need to eliminate carbon dioxide in almost all production. Uh, in your homes, uh, in factories, and then 2035, whatever the hell he said. It, it's so crazy. We would have to destroy our economy. 
You know, we'd have to depend on a pandemic worse than this one to put us all out of business, and then we could meet their levels. Right, and it wouldn't even work because we'd still have to get energy from somewhere. We'd still have to do production somewhere. What would happen is we would shift our production to China, India, and developing countries that don't care about the environment, and the global carbon dioxide production would just go up anyway. It would go up by more. We're the only country in the world that has lowered carbon dioxide emissions and grown our economy because we have innovation, which the Democrats don't particularly like in the fossil fuel industry, but we have developed better technology, cleaner burning fuels, we're more efficient, people are switching to natural gas. You get the gas from fracking, which the left wants to eliminate, and Biden promised in Detroit, I write about this in Red November, he promised at the second debate just about a year ago in Detroit, he was going to eliminate fracking. He promised to eliminate fracking. Well, try explaining that in Pennsylvania. He's now trying to backtrack on it, but he's been on record for almost a year. Eliminate fracking. Well, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And that's the problem with so much of what they're proposing. They say they're the party of science, but they ignore science. I mean, the scientists tell us, send the kids back to school. It's better for the kids to be in school than to be cooped up at home. And there's no reason to worry about coronavirus with kids. But the Democrats are against the science. So it's only science when it suits them. It's not science when it comes to transgenderism or sending kids back to school. Or that. abortion. Yeah. Oh, and there you have another issue where Biden's been completely turned by the left. He started out as a guy saying that he didn't want federal funds being spent on abortion. Well, he flip-flopped on that last year. Now he's all in on the Hyde Amendment, and he wants federal taxpayers to fund abortions on demand through birth. It's the most radical position any nominee's ever had. There is a little bit of humor in this story because all these issues collide and the Democrats are into intersectionality. There was a moment where uh, Julian Castro was talking about abortion, but he wanted to make sure that transgender men or women also had a right to abortion. In other words, even if you don't have a uterus, you have a right to an abortion. Well, how can that's you have – okay, well, uh, <laughs> that's, that's a whole world I don't even want to be a part of, men having abortions. Um, there's a piece in Breitbart now that says that there's a nationwide poll that's been released by John Zogby, no right-wing Republican. And he says that Joe Biden is underperforming compared to prior Democrats among black voters. So what's, he, what's yeah. he going to do, hype up the, the race issue even more? He's underperforming with black voters. He's also underperforming with Latino voters. You know, this idea of defund the police, it doesn't go well with Latino voters. Latino voters reject it because they understand that police are necessary to keep their neighborhood safe, businesses safe, children safe at school here in L.A. You know, they, they're disbanding the uh, school police. They're getting rid of the school police. But who keeps the kids safe? You know, the kids are safer at school in L.A. than they are at home in the neighborhoods because the school police provide protection. Latino voters are not cool on this defund the police thing. But the other issue, as you mentioned African-American voters, Joe Biden has never had a real connection with African-American voters. The only thing that gives him that connection is that Barack Obama chose him to be on the ticket in 2008. And that's why James Clyburn endorsed him in South Carolina. And that's why the establishment rallied around him in South Carolina. The first time Joe Biden ever won anything in a presidential campaign was when he won the South Carolina primary. He had lost every contest until then. And it's a real problem because if you talk to black voters, particularly young black voters, they've got no connection with Joe Biden. So I think the strategy is just to create so much chaos from now until November that voters think the only way to solve it is to vote for Biden. But as we see today, you read the letter from Barry Weiss earlier in the show. Mm -hmm. 
this cancel culture doesn't go away if the left is in charge. It gets worse. Even the liberals are getting canceled by the left. Yeah, the Trotskyites and the Stalinists are fighting with each other now, I notice, in many respects. <laughs> um, do you think what's gone on the last month in the cities and so forth will backfire on the Democrats among, we keep talking about, or they, pollsters keep talking about, white college-educated suburban women? It's definitely going to backfire. It's already backfiring. And most of this is just anecdotal, what I hear from people. But you're being told, on the one hand, they're going to defund the police. So if something happens, you have to call 911. Nobody can come. Then, on the other hand, they tell you they want gun control. They want to take away your right to defend yourself. So if you can't call the police to protect yourself and you can't arm yourself to protect yourself, what happens to you? And a lot of Democrats are looking at this and saying, you know, this doesn't work for us. And we've had a lot of people come forward and say, I'm a Democrat, but I'm voting for Trump this time. I'll go back to being a Democrat later. I want to think of myself as a Democrat. But this defund the police stuff and all the chaos and erasing history and all the radical changes. Remember, Biden's not moving back to the center. The usual pattern is you run to the left or the right in the primary, then you come back to the center. He keeps getting further and further left. And he, he's out there talking about how we want, this is an exact quote, revolutionary institutional changes. He wants revolution. He said that America's ready for big systemic change. Americans have just been through one of the most dramatic changes we've ever experienced with this coronavirus and all the chaos in the streets. People want stability. People want things to settle down and get back to where they were. People don't want more change. And Trump's offering people a way forward. Trump is saying to people, look, we've got to finish what we started. We're going to complete the wall. We're going to get back to a growing economy, not by raising taxes. Who raises taxes in the middle of a recession? No, we're going to get back to the basics. And I think that message is starting to appeal to people. And also, the, uh, the Democrat Party is... You're running a guy that's been in Washington almost half a century. So on the one hand, he's the revolutionary leader. On the other hand, he's saying it's time for X, Y, Z. Why? Because he's running for president? What happened to all the time before when he was in the Senate? And plus, when it comes to the black vote, I hope the the African-American voters understand, Joe Biden has done many and said many very bigoted things through his career. He's not a voice for black Americans or minorities and so forth. He's trying to appeal to them now. Yeah, you know, one of the most important moments in the recent history of our country was the Clarence Thomas, Anita Hill hearings, where Andrew Breitbart, you know, my late friend and founder of our website, he said that was the moment he became a conservative. Joe Biden was the villain in, in that sense because he was the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and he managed to offend people who supported Anita Hill and people who supported Clarence Thomas. He presumed to judge these people. He's had a whole history of siding with segregationists and saying crazy things, even about Obama. He called Obama clean and articulate, like that was you know, supposed to be a compliment as opposed to other people. And he's had a whole history of these things. Kamala Harris called him out on it in that first presidential debate. Of course, now she wants to be his vice president, so she's trying to walk it all back. But again, Joe Biden never really had any kind of real organic connection to the black community. He says crazy things like, if you don't vote for me, you're not black. I mean, that offended even people who want to vote for him. And he's also got other weaknesses. I mentioned this in, in Red November, but he said at one point in Iowa, I believe, that he was getting old and that he might die. And therefore, he needed to choose a young vice president. And the audience kind of laughed nervously. And then he said, no, not a joke, not a joke. You know, I'm getting old. 
You know, so it's not Trump saying it, it's Biden saying it. I don't know why he said it, but he's got some issues people need to be very careful about. Yeah, we need like a pre-25th Amendment thing going on here. I don't know how we do that, <laughs> but anyway, it's a great book, Joel Pollack. You're terrific over there at Breitbart. It's a fantastic site. Red November. Will the country vote red for Trump or red for socialism? Beautiful title. Lays it out perfectly. You can get it on Amazon.com. I've linked to it on Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. Now's the time to bone up on this sort of thing. Joel Pollack, Red November. Will the country vote red for Trump or red for socialism? God bless you, my friend. I appreciate it. All right. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. Boy, this show goes fast, at least for me. By the way, uh, California rejected 100,000 mail-in ballots because of mistakes. This is the Associated Press. More than 100,000 mail-in ballots were rejected by California election officials during the March presidential primary, according to data obtained by the AP that highlights a glaring gap in the state's effort to ensure every vote is counted. I'm telling you, you've got that. Then you have this in Wisconsin. This is uh, hotair.com. Wisconsin's vote by mail looks bad. It was actually worse. Another disaster. And then you have tens of thousands of so-called mail-in ballots where some postal guy decided he didn't want to deliver them. And you have uh, that situation. So Trump is 100% right. This is common sense. And by the way, when the Democrats say they want something, you know it's bad. What the hell do they ever want that's good for this country? You want to vote? Show the hell up and vote. If you want an absentee ballot, go through the process and get one. But these corrupt damn cities and states, they don't care. And it's they who suppress and oppress the voter and the vote by denying your vote, neutralizing your vote with this kind of fraud. So California, 100,000 cases. Wisconsin, God knows how many cases. New Jersey, thousands and thousands of cases. And an election like this, where a state can move one direction or the other based on five or 10,000 votes, it can be a disaster. And let me tell you who knows it best, Biden. Here's a piece from the American Spectator, David Catrone. Why has Biden hired 600 lawyers? Because he wants to litigate himself to the presidency. Remember when Al Gore pulled that in Florida? Al Gore was the one who pulled the litigation trigger first. 
During a recent fundraiser, former Vice President Joe Biden announced his campaign had recruited an army of 600 attorneys to prepare for expected legal battles pursuant to the upcoming election. Biden says he needs all these lawyers to fend off, quote, voter suppression. This is what these Stalinists always do. They're the perpetrators, but they pretend they're the victims. Which he defines as any opposition by the Trump campaign to Democratic calls for a dramatic expansion of mail-in voting. The president believes such a precipitous change in our electoral process will create chaos and encourage election fraud. And he's right. Experts insist the fraud is rare. Well, I just gave you an example. 100,000? Tens of thousands in Wisconsin and New Jersey? That's rare? Nothing rare about it. So Biden hires 600 slip-and-fall lawyers, ambulance chasers. So they're going to try and litigate themselves into, the, uh, into powering the executive branch. They're going to try and create chaos. So on election night, we won't even know who the winner is. And let's see if Antifa and Black Lives Matter show up at the precinct. I can tell you, they show up at the precinct where I'm voting. Uh, I'm not one of these guys that huddles down in a fetal position. I'm just not. If I'm going to have my jaw broken or my nose broken, Mr. Producer, so are they. No offense, it's just the way it works. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, and all of you, you great patriots, you Levinites out there. Thank you. And we'll do it all over again, nice and fresh and brand new, right here tomorrow. Same time, same place. Be safe. God bless you. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.